Amen, amen. Good morning, church. It's really good to see you this morning. If you've got a Bible, go on and open up to Exodus chapter 14. That's where we'll be. Thanks, Corey. Um, we'll, we'll be there here in just a minute. Hey, so uh, the church I grew up in, we did a kids camp every year at Fall Creek Falls. Everybody familiar with Fall Creek Falls? You know what I'm talking about? So there's three of us. So uh, can we pull the map up? Just kidding. There's no map. Um, so Fall Creek Falls up in Tennessee, uh, it's a beautiful place. It's a, a creepy place to carry kids because there's lots of places where they can fall off and die. But for whatever reason, it seemed like a good idea. And so I grew up going to that camp. And then as I got in high school and college, got an opportunity to actually go back and help lead parts of that camp. And uh, so my wife and I were both uh, part of that. And so Kelly handled all the games and the incredible high-intensity stuff that we did there. Uh, and then uh, I handled, uh, I helped lead worship and then handled the training of the group leaders that we would bring in, uh, high school and college kids, uh, to come in and lead that. And so the kids' favorite thing to do, of course, I mean, to go see the rocks and to go, uh, the worship time was always really cool and always had some really good messages. But one of their favorite things to do was to go to the general store. So if you've been to Fall Creek Falls, you know about the general store. It's near the pool um, at the campground. And so uh, they would go, and their parents, for whatever reason, would give them 10, 20, 50 bucks. 50 bucks they would come to camp with as an 8-year-old, right? And they would, they would roll to the general store. And you can ballpark this if you've been around kids for a minute. The collective amount of money that we carried home from that trip from all 50-plus kids, how much do you think it was? Real doggone close to zero, right? I mean, kids are coming up to me going, hey, there's nothing I can buy with seven cents in there. What do I do with this? You know what I mean? Like they're trying to spend every single penny. Um, they would buy, uh, they had the rock thing in the middle, like with different color rocks that you can make into a bracelet and they'll charge you per rock and it's a ripoff. Uh, bracelets, necklaces, charms, all that kind of stuff. And then they had the rock candy thing over on the side. I still remember when you go in the door, it's on the far side. There would be little barrels with 50 different types of rock candy. So you could go and select that. Uh, every kind of junk food, every kind of candy, every kind of drink. They had glass bottle sun drops with real sugar in them, not high fructose corn syrup. Lots of really cool things. But I can remember the one kid that stands out to my mind out of all the years of doing it, um, he didn't buy any of that stuff. I don't even know where he found it. I haven't been able to find it there since. But he found a 124th scale Corvette. Had the doors that open up, the, you know, the trunk would open, the, the hood would like all that stuff. And I told him, I said, look, dude, that's a terrible idea. Like, we got two more days of camp. You're not going to be able to play with this. Like, you're going to carry it back to the bunk. You're going to put it in your bag, and you're not going to be able to do anything with this. He was like, no, that's what I want. All right, dude, it's your mom's money, whatever. And so he buys this thing. And so the whole way back to the pool, we would go from the general store back to the pool, and he's riding it along the rocks, and he's riding it up the ramps and down the ramps, up the steps, down the steps. And we walk all these kids back, and we line them up on the – uh, so overlooking the pool was the walkway that goes out to the parking lot. And so he's there. Uh, we got them lined up. We're getting the rest of the kids out of the pool to get them dried off and get them up so we can go back to the uh, the camp. And uh, he's riding along the handrail, right? You don't know where this is going. And uh, so he gets a little bit more confident in it. And there's a post, you know, as they do. In the thing. And he's like, I'm going to ride it into that post. So he rides it down the handrail. And it hits the post. And it teeters off to the left and falls 30 feet, smacking on the concrete, blowing up into no less than a 1,000 pieces. 40 bucks, whatever it was. 
shot 10 minutes later. Now, I'll tell you that story. I take so much time in the sermon to tell you that story. Last week, what we saw is that God gifts leadership to humans. God has been placed in, God has placed himself in ultimate authority over creation, but by his own choice, he invites humanity alongside him to say, here is leadership. Here, lead, bear my image in the world. That's what we talked about last week. Just as this little boy was given money by his parents so much, I don't know why, and was entrusted with it, and 10 minutes later it was shot. When I think back on that, yes, I think don't let your children carry so much money to camp, but I'm also reminded about leadership. That what God has entrusted in me, I don't want to squander. I don't want to be remembered as somebody who was given this amount of leadership, whether it's this much or whether it's this much, and I absolutely had a ball with it for 10 minutes, and then I shoved it off the the handrail, and it splattered into a 1,000 pieces. I want to steward well the responsibility that God has given me. Today, we're going to talk about three ways that you can steward well the leadership that God has given you. If you missed last week, if you're thinking you're not a leader, Heath, this doesn't apply to me, biblical leadership, don't know what you're talking about, here's the deal. Yes, it does. Because what we saw last week is that, uh, that leadership is influence. And so if there's anybody in your life who you have influence over, friends, if, you're, if, you're, if you have children, if, you have, if you're a supervisor, if, you, whatever the, if you're a leader here at this church, then this is all going to apply to you. And so we're going to talk through three healthy principles. We're going to look at them from a guy named Moses. We're going to look all at Moses' life, seeing some leadership principles that are pretty cool. Uh, some of them he shows us well how to do that, and some of them we get to enjoy watching him mess up, um, but we're actually going to learn from him in that. And so I'm going to pray before we dive in uh, to, to, to the text today. So let me pray. Father God, we do thank you, God, that uh, I don't know why you do. Uh, God, if any of us were God, we wouldn't trust humans. Um, but God, you did. And God, we blow it so many times. Uh, God, you entrust leadership to us, and yet we continue to, to mess it up. But God, you keep showing grace. And um, God, I pray that for myself and God, for the leaders that are in this room, God, that, that you would, uh, God, just help us to avoid the pitfalls. Um, God, help us to focus on the things that your word says good leaders do. And uh, God, so that we won't have to keep coming back to you for that forgiveness as often as we do in our leadership because we're more faithfully following after the images that we see in your word. And so God, help us today. Uh, God, as we always pray to, to teach us to know you today, teach us to know who you are, your nature and your character. And God, be with us as we study today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So here's, I'm going to give you point number one for note takers. Leadership is tenacity. Leadership is tenacity. Um, What this means is that leaders are driven by vision, not by circumstance. And so if you're not familiar with where Moses fits in the story, it's important for you to understand the vision that I'm talking about with Moses, okay? So the book of Genesis ends uh, with Abraham's family. At this point, about 70 people, a famine hits the land, and they wind up going to a place called Egypt, And so they go to Egypt because that's where the food is. That's where they've been stockpiling food. And so uh, God's people, this family of 70 people, migrate to Egypt. 
and there they find they find food, they find a place to live. And so generations begin to go by. The book of Exodus picks up after a little period of time has passed between Genesis and Exodus. And, and this family that once Pharaoh had welcomed in and said, yes, come in, come, have food, here's a place to stay, here's a piece of dirt that's yours. And then what happens is that generations go by and Pharaoh changes power. And the next Pharaoh looks around and goes, what's this group of people? They're weird. Like I, there's a bunch of them. Now there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands even, of people living in Egypt. And so the Pharaoh's getting weirded out and he's he's trying to figure it out. And so in, 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 in his own defense of his nation, he decides to make them slaves. And he makes the Israelites servants. And that's the way he's going to control their population and among other things that we won't get into. And so now they're living generations later, not as free people, but as slaves. And so God calls a man named Moses out. And God calls Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt to the land that he promised to Abraham generations before. That's the vision that God puts before Moses. I have a bright future for this people. Go back to the land and be there. And so that's the that's what Moses, and as you read through the story, now some of you that know the story real well, you're going to argue with me, but you can do that later. For the most part, Moses keeps that vision before his own eyes. There's times where he blows it for sure. But Moses puts that vision before his own mind quite often, and he actually models well what it looks like to remind himself of why he's doing what he's doing. But the people he is leading do not at all. They are driven, what we're going to call, by circumstance, okay? So right after they are allowed to leave Egypt, God has God has brought them out of Egypt in a really, really cool way through crazy plagues. And Pharaoh says, just leave, go. But then Pharaoh changes his mind, and he starts after them. And they find themselves at the foot of the Red Sea. And then in Exodus 14, which you we're finally there, Exodus 14, verse 11, the people said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you needed? Lead us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve them than to die in the wilderness. And it's there that God parts the Red Sea, actually makes a path through the Red Sea, allowing them to to go free, and then he protects their backside by bringing that water back over the Egyptians as they go along that same path. And you think, surely this is enough, right? Surely they're going to catch the vision that God has a plan for them. Okay. Then, as they're in the wilderness, they begin to complain about the taste of water and the lack of food. So guess what God does? God provides for them clean water. He provides for them food in a miraculous way, literally like... There's just this bread-like substance on the ground every morning when they get up. That's a miracle. Like, that costs money now. you got to buy it at the Piggly Wiggly. But it's just there when they get up in the morning, right? And so this is this miraculous bread. But guess what happens? They begin to complain about having to eat the same thing every day, just like my kids do about lunch. Like, I have picky kids. They like three things, so I give them three things for lunch. Why do we have to have the same thing every day? Then eat something. Anyway. Sheesh. There's no winning with this bunch of people. 
But see, because they're not driven by the same vision of Moses. Moses has this vision that's ever before him that God has a plan, God has a purpose, but instead they are driven by their circumstances. And as good leader, good leaders cannot be driven by circumstances because that's going to ebb and flow and ebb and flow and ebb and flow. Leaders have to keep their eyes fixed on the vision. No matter what's happening around us, we've got to keep our eyes fixed. That's what Moses, for the most part, does. Moses reminds the people at every turn, God has plans for you. Remember his promises. And all throughout Exodus, Leviticus, and all the way to Numbers, we see this constant cycle. In Numbers 14, the story's still continuing. Verse 1, the whole community broke out in a loud cries. People wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and his brother Aaron. The whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died on the way here in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us all the way into the land that he promised us to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Look, they're doubting the vision. They're doubting God's plan for them. They're, devout, they're doubting the vision that Moses has tried to remind them of from the very beginning. They're, being, they're focusing on their circumstances to the point that they actually want to fire Moses and elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. Now, what happens in the, the verses that follow is that Moses, his brother Aaron, who kind of serves as like the first high priest, and then Moses' protege named Joshua, a guy that we'll get familiar with again here in a minute, um, they stand up to the people and remind them of the vision. They put the vision again before them. In Numbers 14.10 is a verse. Y'all, I've read and read and read through the Bible. For, this one this one has eluded me to this point for some reason. And some of y'all, if you've read the Bible a lot, you may laugh at me for, for some reason missing this. But Numbers 14.10, the people threatened to stone and kill Moses and Aaron and Joshua. Like, I don't know how I've missed that. Like, it got to that point. It gets to that point where they're not buying into the leadership. What we're learning here from this is that good leaders don't just react to circumstances. They are driven by clear and bright vision. As a leader, Moses had to keep reminding his team about the vision, continuing to put it before them. Why do we do what we do? What are we working to accomplish? And that plays out. I've talked to some of you that are supervisors and leaders in your workplace. You ever have to remind the people in your workplace why you do what you do. The man, yes, it's hard work sometimes. Yes, it's difficult, but this is why we do what we do. I'm a leader in my home. I got two young kids. You know how many times I have to remind them why we do what we do? When they've got friends, they're going to be playing right now. Well, maybe not because it's raining. But we have we have neighborhood kids playing in our street. But we tell our children, no, Sundays are given to the Lord. We come to church. I have to remind them of that because sometimes riding bikes with other kids sounds a lot more fun than church. But I have to remind them why we do what we do. Here at church, my job as a pastor is to put our continue to put our vision of, of, of reaching people before you so that, yes, we're going to face difficulty, we're going to face hardships, but no matter what the future of Lindsay Lane East is, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who continues to change lives and let's keep moving. Because the first leadership principle we're looking at is tenacity, 
Leadership is staying focused on the vision of God. Second principle. This is where it starts stomping on my toes a lot more. Leadership is teamwork. Uh, We're called not to be high. We're called to be high investors, not high performers. All right. So let's let's talk about this with Moses. Moses is clearly the chosen leader that God's communicating his message through, his expectations, his plans, his promises. He's in a clear leadership role and we get to we get to know what he looks like as a leader in Exodus 18 a little bit. This is uh uh Moses has a fun interaction with his father-in-law and some of y'all are going to you know, I don't know what kind of relationship we have with father-in-law. I have a good one. And yes, this is on live stream, but I actually mean that. Not just afraid that he'll watch it. I have a good relationship with my father-in-law. Um, but this is Moses and his father-in-law. Listen to this. The, the next day Moses sat down to judge the people. And there were all these people standing around Moses from morning until evening. So Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them. And he asked, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all the people stand around you from morning to evening? Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another. I'm I'm teaching them God's statutes and his laws. Jethro, who is his father-in-law, says, as only a father-in-law can, what you're doing is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, and these people that you're trying to lead well because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now, here's the deal. When I look at Moses, by today's standards, Moses is, there's a term in the business world today, hustling, right? Moses is hustling. He's getting after it. He's getting up before the sun does. He's getting to his place out in the courtyard, and as people come to him, he, he's, he's killing it. He's grabbing lunch and scarfing it down. He's doing all the things that today in the world says, this is what a leader looks like, somebody who's getting after it from sun up to sundown. Moses, on the surface, looks like a good leader. The place is dependent on him, and he's busy. What Moses is actually showing us here is he's actually just a high-functioning performer. He's a good doer, but not a good leader. Do you understand the difference? Moses' father-in-law helps him see that the Jethro... Jethro is the father-in-law that helps, helps Moses see that he is going to burn out if he doesn't get help. He says, Moses, you're doing things. You're not leading. You're just doing. He says this in verse 19. Now listen to me, and I'm going to tell you, if your father, your father-in-law, any person in authority says, now listen to me, you should do it. I'll give you some advice, and God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws. Teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people, able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, hating, dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Then they should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you the major cases, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you'll lighten your load and they will bear it with you. If you do this, and God so directs you, You'll be able to endure, and all these people will get to go to the house satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. 
So Jethro, in this moment, is a smart father-in-law. He helps Moses understand that leadership is about developing others. We talked about that last week. Leadership is about cultivating in other th- in other people what God is doing in you. And see, so he told Moses he needed a system of judges that could get this done. Moses, you can be more effective as a team than you are by yourself. Here's what we're learning for the life of Moses: is that leaders don't do; they develop. Leaders don't do. They develop. They multiply themselves by giving away their responsibility to others and training them to accomplish it. But there's two things to point out here. Because Moses, I think, in this moment, he's tired. Can you imagine getting up every morning? Some of you are like, yeah, that's what I do, okay? God help you and speak to you today. But that's what we see Moses. Moses is getting up early. He's going to work. He's coming home late. And all day, he's getting after it. He feels needed. He feels important. And Jethro points out, dude, you can't make it long. You're going to burn out, bud. And so the natural thing, no doubt Moses looked around and went, you know what, dude? You are spot on. And so the natural thing for Moses to do would just be start giving stuff away. Is that what Moses does? Notice what Jethro tells him to do. He said, select able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. You see, good leaders aren't those that just delegate all these roles to other people. They don't just hand off responsibility to anyone who will take it. And y'all, man, I've been guilty of that in my ministry. Trusting, just giving somebody something because I needed a break. Inviting a, a youth volunteer to come help me because I needed help with all these teenagers that God was sending to me when I was in student ministry. And then realizing, wow, what a dirt bag that I just brought into my ministry. Now I've got to ask you to leave. Right? Like I, we, Moses, Jethro is trying to help Moses understand, yes, you need help, but you've got to carefully select those who can be trusted with more. Then you can assign them a role, giving them responsibility. One of these that's over thousands, hundreds, fifties, or tens. So yes, it's about developing, but that developing is, is, is trusting people. But, but mostly, possibly the most important part of Jethro's advice was what he told Moses to retain. And I read it multiple times and missed it the whole time. But when God made it clear to me, I was reminded of something I learned a long time ago. See, he didn't say, give all that away so you can go to the house and play video games. Like, give all that away so that you can prop your feet up and go, whoo, man, it's fun being a leader. I read in a book a long time ago, as a good leader, do what only you can do. And I have to preach that to myself as a pastor. Heath, your main task is to do what only you can do. Jethro is reminding Moses that his primary role, he says it in verse 19, you be the one to represent the people before God. You be the one to represent the people before God. Jethro is reminding him, you do what only you can do. Because what he's helping him see is that his main task as a leader was being hindered by all these other things. Give that, give all these other things away so that you can do this more effectively. And man, it's hard to do that as a leader. When I was building cabinets, it's before I got into ministry, I was building cabinets full time. And um, we, uh, of course, with like uh, that, the industry of working with your hands, there's a higher turnover in some of those jobs because it's hard and, and not all 18 year olds actually want to work. They just wanted one paycheck, and then they want to enjoy it for a little while. 
And so we would bring these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, and, and part of my job was to carry to, they'd ride with me and another guy out on these jobs to install cabinets. And I was the one that would carry them to the bathroom and show them how to install a bathroom vanity in there. Do you know how to read a tape measure? No. Awesome. Well, those big numbers, that's the inches. That big line, that's the half. And I'm going like, I'm having to show them first how to read a tape measure. And then I've got to show them how to measure. I could get y'all, I could, by the time I quit and started in full-time ministry, I could go into a bathroom and knock it out so fast. And it became really easy for me to go, you know what, just watch. <laughs> just just stand over there and watch me do it. And some of y'all are nodding along because y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Dude, it's so much easier for me to do it myself. And that's what Moses is saying. Moses says, I know the standard, man. Like, I've talked with God. I've communed with God. I know what it looks like to, to do this job. And so it's just easier if I do it myself rather than show someone and trust them to do it. But what Jethro helps him see that, yes, you can do all those things, but you're going to miss out on your primary task. It's not only in our workplaces. It's, it's in our home. I've got two kids that are six and eight. You know how many things I do for my children that they could do themselves? We're going to talk about that again here in a minute. Like I go in their room and I find myself cleaning their room. My wife's going to laugh at that. She probably does it more than me. Um, But like I find myself doing things for them while they're playing video games or outside playing. Right, like in, and then it's, it's creating more stress on us by not teaching them responsibility and by not trusting them with chores. Like I, we find ourselves not able to be the parents we're supposed to be because we're so stressed out trying to do the stuff that they could be helping us with. It goes the same as here at the church. If you're a leader here at this church, it can be so easy to try to accomplish your role without anyone's help. I don't know, some of you guys, if you're new to the church, you don't realize us. Uh, we have four staff members, what we call staff members here. It's me and Kenny and, and, and Miss Terry and Patrick. That's who we consider our staff. But underneath us, or I wrote them all down, it's something like 30 different leadership positions. Our highest level of volunteers are called coordinators. We've got four groups of those, and then we've got all these team leaders and group leaders that are underneath them that all have responsibility. And I was making the list, and I thought, there's a good chance I'm going to leave somebody out, so I'm not going to read it out loud because I don't want that on me today. But we've got so many leaders, and here's the deal. If you're in these leadership roles, just remember that, yes, I can work all week and, and do everything I can do and not involve anybody, but it doesn't get anybody else involved, and it causes me to be less effective. And for every one of our leaders, coordinators all the way down to, to team leaders and group leaders, Get other people involved in what you're doing. Multiply this ministry. We talked about last week. Replicate and cultivate. Carefully pray through able, God-fearing, trustworthy people to help you. And our highest level of coordinators know that I say that with a lot of... It's got to be arrogance or humility because I stink at this. There's times during the week where I'm designing a graphic i'm printing something i'm like there's times where i'm doing something that easily could have been given to somebody else and it's and then then i find myself having to prepare a sermon on friday and saturday you see what i'm saying so i'm not saying i model this well but i'm telling you it's what we're all striving for 
as leaders, this is what we've been called to do. Leadership principle number two, leadership is teamwork. Invite people along. The third principle is this. Leadership is temporary. This is my least favorite to talk about. Leaders are supposed to be forward-looking, not inward-looking. Ties in well to the previous one. At the end of Moses' life, at the end of Moses' 40 years leading God's people through the wilderness from Egypt to Canaan, this is what Joshua 1, 1 through 2 says. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. And that's a whole big story about why Moses doesn't get to lead God's people into Egypt, but it's not as important for what we're trying to discuss, so that's for another day. But what we see here is a transfer of leadership. Are you seeing that? Moses is dead. Joshua is your leader. Now, go. You see, Joshua becomes the leader, and he continues to put the same vision that Moses had cast. He continues to put that vision before the people. And as you read the rest of the book of Joshua, for the most part, the people buy in. For the most part, people follow Joshua pretty well. And what happens is that the vision that God had given to Moses at Mount Sinai and then Moses had passed on to Joshua gets fulfilled. God uses Joshua to lead his people to conquer much of this land of promise. So the question is that I ask myself, why did the transition to Joshua go so well? Why did the people trust this new leader so much? When you look back over the story from the beginning, you see that Joshua has been right by Moses' side. What did it call him in the text? His assistant. His assistant. Joshua 1.1. Numbers 11.28 tells us that he had been his assistant since his youth. Since Joshua was a young, young dude, Moses has invited him along. He was part of the group that Moses sent out to scout the promised land. He was one of 12 guys that Moses trusted to go scout out the land. Then he he trusted uh, uh, Joshua to put together and lead an army to take on Amalek before they even get to the promised land. Joshua succeeds, and then he got to go with Moses as he met with the Lord on the mountain. He got to, he invited him along into his personal relationship with God, and, and Joshua got to, later on, after, uh, he gets to go further into the tabernacle than anybody else besides Moses and Aaron. What we see as we walk through this is that we'll argue in today's terms, Joshua was more than an assistant, right? He's not just handling his calendar, He's not just the, the one answering the phones. He's not just the one who's, who's, who's handling paperwork. Moses was giving him real tasks and allowing him to prove himself as a good leader before the people. Moses was developing Joshua and allowing him to grow and mature in leadership. And I think we see the benefit of that with this smooth transition to Joshua as the new leader. Now, I'm not trying to trying to downplay God's hand at work in it. Of course, God is working because God wants to see this accomplished. But we can see that Moses acknowledged that his leadership was temporary. He knew he had a few decades to lead God's people, and he had to set the people up well to be able to follow the next leader. Here's my argument. Watch what happens to an organization after a leader leaves, and that will tell you all you need to know about the leader. 
Watch what happens to an organization after a leader leaves. If it crumbles and ceases to exist and they have to close the doors, then you know that the entire thing was built on the personality or abilities of the leader. But if the organization continues, then there's a really good chance that the leader understood that their leadership was temporary and they worked their butt off to help the organization prepare for the future. I got a morbid statement for you. Someone's going to have your job someday. Somebody's going to sit at your desk. Somebody's going to drive your truck. Somebody's going to do what you do. Are you working as though to make that person better off? Or are you working just to make yourself look good now? Because here's what's interesting. As we continue through the book of Joshua, over uh, several times through Exodus all the way to Numbers, we see Joshua called Moses' assistant. However, what we do not see is anyone labeled as Joshua's assistant. Throughout the whole text, there are people that are referenced, but there is no one that we really see Joshua taking under his wing. He's in many ways a good leader, but there doesn't seem to be anyone that he's investing in for the future. And guess what happens when he dies? This is Judges 2, 7 through 13. The people worshiped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua even. Those who were you know, closest with Joshua, they had all seen They had seen all the great works of the Lord he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in a place that I can't pronounce, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. And that whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals, Baals, the Baals, and abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped all these other gods. We see as Joshua and the whole generation who had entered the promised land those that had seen the fulfillment of the vision clearly became so consumed with enjoying the conquests of today that they forgot to prepare the next generation for what lay ahead. Were they good leaders? Well, they conquered a bunch of land. They set themselves up as a nation state. They built an incredible place for God's people to live and thrive. But were they good leaders? What we know is that they certainly did not keep in their mind that their position as leaders was temporary. Now think about this in a couple of ways. Something I'll think about as as a pastor here. If our ministry here in this community is focused on my personality alone, and, and this is the only face, that our community thinks of when they see when they think about Lindsay Lynn East. When I'm dead and gone, y'all shut the doors. You see what I'm saying? If this thing, whole thing is built on me and not a greater vision, then we're in trouble. And it goes for all of our leaders here, and some of y'all are here. 
It goes for our staff. It goes for our coordinator level volunteers and our team leaders and our group leaders. If the ministries that you lead are built on you, it's going to fail when you're gone. If you're a leader here, remember that what you're doing, the hustle that you show is awesome, but you are in that seat for a season. God may give you another year. Here, God may give you 20 more years here at Lindsay Lane East. But either way, you've got to lead in your role so that if you have to step down or you die, God forbid, that the ministry you lead, the group you lead, doesn't just fold up. Build a team around you so that you can teach them what you do. Our leadership here, guys, is temporary. We've got to keep that in mind. And the other thing that possibly steps on my toes even more is in regards to my parenting. God has handed me the responsibility to raise a beautiful little girl and a goofy little boy for him. And I've got a window that right now seems this big, (laughs) but I know is really only this big. I don't have them long in my house. And I can do everything for them. I can work my tail off to make sure that they have the lives that, that I dreamed of when I was a kid. Make sure that they have lots of cool memories to look back on on Facebook. I can, have, I can carry them to all the places. I can do all these things for them. But I can do all that and not prepare my children for adulthood. My direct leadership over my kids is temporary. There is a day coming when my children will make decisions without me. In fact, every decision they make will be without me. What am I doing? Now, now there's six and eight, and it seems like forever away. And I know some of you are like, huh. What am I doing now at six and eight to prepare them to be adults? What am I doing to prepare them for the decisions that lie ahead? What are we doing as a church to prepare this next generation that's over here? And I'm a little bit turned around, but yeah, this kid's building back here. I'm like, what are we doing when they're running the sound booth and they're on stage leading worship and one of them is up here preaching and one of them is on all these places? Like, are we preparing them to lead in our workplaces, in our homes, in our church? Or will it be said of us like it was Joshua, that man, during Joshua's lifetime, it was good and God was worshipped and the church grew, but then when he died, The people worshipped other gods. See how important this is. Like leadership's not just a supervisor at church at uh, at your workplace. Being a leader is every day of our lives. Anyone that we have influence over. So I just want to challenge us here at Lindsay Lane East that we've got to adopt these three mindsets of leadership. We've got to have tenacity. We've got we can't be so distracted. By the circumstances of our life, we've got to put before us, put before our workplace, put before our family, put before our church a clear vision so that we can tenaciously, which is the the adjective or ad, the adverb of the word tenacity, that was the whole thing in the first service, 
that we can tenaciously pursue the vision that God has placed before us. We've also got to take on teamwork. We've got to recognize that we're not in this as solo people. We're, we're doing this together as a team. We've got to recognize that, our, that it's temporary. And here's what I'm so encouraged by as I look at this life of Moses is that good night, he blew it a bunch, didn't he? That's to encourage you. Like Moses didn't have all three of these things figured out perfectly. No one that we read about in the Old Testament had this sucker figured out. But And so we as human beings, we are going to fail. Me as your pastor, I'm going to fail and do often at these three things. But what I understand is that we have a heavenly father who stands ready to forgive us and show us grace when we blow it. And that grace is acceptable because there was one who was a perfect leader. There was one who did all of this perfectly. Jesus was the one who, who, who first off, perfectly kept his eyes fixed on the vision for his life. Perfectly. He understood perfectly what his earthly ministry was designed to do, and he carried that all the way to the cross and gave up his life. He tenaciously pursued the vision of God. He also invested a ton of time in, in, in leaders, young men, developing them into great leaders, giving them opportunities. He didn't just give out responsibilities. He, liked, he allowed them to take on opportunities and flex leadership muscles and to grow and mature. He trusted them even when he knew they were going to blow it. But he knew it was for their good. And he understood, I think, in many ways, and I think you see it in the garden when he prayed before he died, that his life here was temporary. His ministry was temporary. And, and he prepared those who were to follow him. He prepared them to handle the ministry in his absence. So grace is available through this Jesus, but it's not there because Jesus is a perfect leader. The grace that's available to us when we fail is there because when Jesus died, God placed the sin of the world in his body. The sin that the Bible says earns you and I death and separation from God. Jesus took that in himself and died. And then God raised him up on the third day. And the Bible says that if you and I will trust in the name of Jesus alone, turning from our sins, God will save you through Jesus' blood. I don't know how God may have used a leadership message like this. I hope for you guys that are leaders that you begin to wrestle with these three things and ask yourself, what, what, what am I doing? And for those of you that didn't think you're leaders, I pray that you come in here and go, oh, okay, actually I am a leader, and then begin to wrestle with this. I pray that you pray for the leadership of this church. I pray that you pray for your supervisor at work, and you pray for our government leaders, and you pray for all of these different leaders in our life because what we all have been given is, is, a, is, a, is a handout from God, a personal responsibility from God to do something with it. And I promise you as your pastor now, my goal, my, my, my plea with the Lord is to not let me blow my leadership on a 124th scale Corvette and it'd be exploding 10 minutes later. I want to be making an impact here for the kingdom of God that has lasting impact, not because so that my name is attached, but so that Jesus's is. And I want that to be the, the, the purpose and goal of this church. And so if you need to come to this altar or pray right where you are for the leaders in your life or pray for your own leadership, I'll be back at the back too to talk with you about anything that you may be wrestling with, decisions you need to make. Uh, we'd love to talk with you, okay? But I'm going to say a prayer. Worship team's going to come and sing again. Father God, we do thank you. Uh, that you thank you, God, for trusting us 
Uh, God, with the things that we do, God, you trust me to be a dad. You trust me to be a husband. God, you trust me to be a pastor. You trust me to be a believer to my neighbors and, and a friend to people in my life. And God, I know that any leadership, any influence that I have, God, is coming from you. And um, God, I'm thankful um, that you trust me, God, knowing that I'm a absolute doofus a lot of the time and I'm going to blow it. God, you keep trusting me. God, I thank you that you trust other people in this room. God, help us to lead well, to replicate and cultivate, as we talked about last week, God, in these three ways. God, that we would tenaciously keep our eyes fixed on the vision that you've placed us before, placed before us. And God, we would be reminded it's about teamwork. And our lives here are temporary, and we need to be thinking about the next generation constantly pulling them in as much as we can to understand who you are and growing those around us. Father, I thank you for what you've done in me. God, the way you continue to grow me, continue to grow us. Help us to do that for other people. It's in Jesus' name I pray.